Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. And guess what? You don't have to die at the hands of a shape-shifting clown to join. No, all you have to do is tune in every Friday as us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. Each week, we'll either spend hours reading between the pages of one of his books or chew on his latest tweets and Hollywood headlines. What's more, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Mick Garris, Jerry O'Connell, Mary Lambert, Will Wheaton, and the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith With. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, wherever you're listening from today, go ahead and hit the subscribe button that's right in front of you. Uh, if you can leave a rating uh, or review, uh, do that as well. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today my guest is Dave Weindorf of the band Monster Magnet. There's a lot of anniversaries happening that we get to talk about, including the 25th anniversary of Super Judge, the 20th anniversary of their mega album Power Trip. In fact, we'll talk about the big hit Space Lord that was on there and how the uh, video to that holds a pretty cool little stat, uh, keeping them tied in as the first video ever played on TRL. One of their songs is also now the name of a very famous Marvel superhero. We'll talk about that and also discuss their brand new album, Mindfucker. It's Kyle Meredith with Monster Magnet. How are you, Kyle? I know you've got a uh, a monstrous new record with Mindfucker, no pun intended there, but uh, it's, a, it's a beast of it, man. It's a powerful record. Congratulations Thanks, on dude. that. Yeah. Thank you. There's actually three different eras here that I want to hit on today because there's a couple of uh, big round anniversaries. Uh, I usually like to give my guests the... Uh, the first, uh, the first flip on where to go in the time machine. If you want to start in ninety three, ninety eight, or twenty eighteen, uh, you, you know, you just pick one. That's fine. <laughs> well, 
Let's let's go chronological. Let's head back to '93 first because you got this great record, Super Judge, that's actually celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. And I kind of wanted to touch on that one because at the time that was sort of an overlooked record, right? Like that's that's found its audience since then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. It came. That was our first record on a major, and um, it definitely wasn't the record that the major wanted. You know, I'm, I'm sure they, they wanted like a, a they they were expecting probably like a a bigger sounding record and uh, and what i gave him was uh, basically this kind of like rot gut almost like demo sounding me trying to be i'm with me afraid of appearing to sell out too soon after signing to a major really <laughs> that's what that was about so i tried to make this nasty sound and then I, I think i made it too nasty so it, it it came out and it was noticed by the people who i guess who knew about monster magnet but not too much past that I know you guys had toured a little bit with Soundgarden before that, and, and maybe I was just reaching for it, but I could sort of hear. I mean, you guys, you know, kind of came from the same rock family anyway, but I could hear a little yeah. bit of that same that same sound in there. I didn't know if there was, like, some mutual influencing going on. Probably. Um, I couldn't imagine. I was a huge Soundgarden fan. And, uh, and so, yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of tempos and stuff. They inspired me with tempos, their slower tempo thing. And, they were, you know, they were pulling... I'm sure they were pulling from the same stuff we were, was like old Zeppelin and Psych, you know, anything that was like hanging around at that point that was 10 to 15 or 20 years old that no one had really thought about for a while. Well, I mean, and, and of course, it can't be overlooked that rock had become a new thing at that point. You know, we're, we're talking about 93, so obviously, you know, the grunge explosion is starting to happen or is in the middle of happening, and, and the attention was different. Uh, did you feel at all, though, that you were a part of that in any version? A little bit. Um, I guess as much as you can if you're from New Jersey. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're from New Jersey. You're pretty much like wearing the hat, whether you like to or not. But I was certainly inspired by the whole the indie rock boom, you know, which I mean it was a do-it-yourself time where the do-it-yourselfers were were starting to get as much as ten, uh, press attention as the big record labels were, which is amazing. I mean, that never happened before. So you got these little record companies like Sub Pop, which were little at the time, Amphetamine Reptile, and and on and on, all these little record companies that were getting press attention. And it looked like a whole brand new world of like, guess what? We can like change the rules or we don't have to obey the rules because the rules at that at, up until that point and probably always had been. It's been more of a corporate rock thing. Like you bust in with the corporate rock guys before you get any press. You know, that's it. Right. You, no one's going to know you outside of your town until you sign with us. And this kind of broke the rules. There were fanzines everywhere. Um, it, was, it was really good on independent press, and print, the printing of fanzines had got cheaper. Printing had cheap. Kinko's came around. You know, that was the day where it was basically information. It was like pre-internet internet. It was a cool time. So I felt part of it in that, in that respect. But, you know, no, I didn't feel like I was part of the Seattle scene because that was about as far away from Seattle as you could get culturally and still be in the United States. <laughs> right. Well, well, jump back in there because, of course, you know, it's a power trip. I mean, that is still just one of the all-time great classics. And, and, and it's become your all's calling card in a way. It came out in 1998. You guys had been around at that point for uh, about almost 10 years. Did, mm. and, and it finally happens. I mean, did the success, it must have felt hard won when that, when that finally arrived like that. Yeah, you know, it, it felt hard won and also felt like a surprise because I honestly didn't think – that anyone was ever going to get what Monster Magnet was about. And even though I kind of tightened it up and put it in a context that more people can understand, I really didn't think I had, I had like, you know, 
struck it commercially. So I was really surprised that that people responded to it like they did. I mean, basically, it was a a record that was a response to record companies, record company guys telling me that we were all over the map, you know, musically. We've been different records each time. Like one was more psychedelic, one was more like a kind of weird psych punk rock. There's nothing that the radio audience could grab a hold of. And at the, you know, and I'm like, you know, man, I got to tell you, I I never really thought I was going to even get this far. Uh, I wasn't prepared to all of a sudden, you know, retool, retool the you know monster magnet to be this, you know, to be whatever you guys would like it to be. So maybe you made a big mistake in signing us. <laughs> You know, I mean, if you you know what I mean, if you want Pearl Jam, there's plenty of Pearl Jams out there. And, um, you know, because that was the stuff that was really hitting the radio. You know, it was Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, stuff like that. And we were weird. It was different. But um, I remember saying, uh, like, really cynically, oh, you guys, you you can't sell this stuff. You could sell anything. If they could sell a million pocket combs, you know. Every every quarter in the, in the world, you could sell Monster Magnet at least a million of them. Right. Maybe all you should do, maybe all I should do, is like put uh, put like beautiful women on the cover and dressed in shiny suits like the rap guys. So uh, maybe I should just do that, huh? And just call it Rock 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 and put on leather pants. So then I went home and I was like, wait a second, why don't I do that? <laughs> I've got, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I've been around for ten years, and that certainly still fits into the criteria of of my favorite music, which was. You know, I, I make no bones about it. I, I think the best time in rock was probably around like 69 to around, you know, like, no, like say 65 to about 75. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I think it really hit a, a big peak. And plus, I was a kid, so you, you kind of never lose your influences. So I was like, yeah, that's what one of those psychedelic bands would do if they were around for 10 years. They started off psych, they'd probably wind up wearing leather pants and shooting fire. So I did that. And it worked. And it worked. It freaked me out. I was like, holy I well, can't believe it. Well, you know, you listen to a song like, um, you know, and I'll hit on Space Lord in a minute, but uh, Temple of Your Dreams, like that guitar part, I don't know, you put it in a different pedal and it's nearly a pop song. And, and maybe yeah. that was also a little bit of Vegas in there because I feel like you can hear Vegas in that one. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I wrote the thing in Vegas. So, yeah, in order to make everything perfect, I was like, OK, I'm going to Vegas to write a record. Like, this is what the record's going to be about. It's going to be about the American dream, my American dream, where, uh, you know, I'm pretty cynical about this stuff where it's money first and, you know, content second. You know, my whole thing was with the record company was like, you guys just need a better you just need a better cover on the thing, you know. I was totally cynical to what people what people wanted musically, or uh, you know, just me making fun of advertising culture. So go to Vegas and do it right. Do the whole Hunter S. Thompson thing, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and do that. And uh, it, it was a dream come true for me to actually have somebody pay me to go to Las Vegas. To, <laughs> you know, it really was like the whole American dream come around. It, you know, life is weird and getting weirder. You're hitting on our hometown boy right there. Hunter's a uh... Uh, a Louisville boy, so I was like, "Oh yeah, oh, man. Hunter, man, what a what a like probably one of America's quickest, finest writers ever. The yeah. guy wrote like a diamond, like a diamond razor. I've never read anyone's prose that's so crackling in my whole life. It's amazing, you know. Regardless of what anybody thought of him politically or whatever, I mean, the guy was just 
absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah. I mean, he's one of the greats, man. No, I right. mean, he's right up there. He's he's a great American writer. I mean, we got a he's, town that's got one of the greatest writers and then the greatest of all time with Ali. So you know, we're 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 proud of of, of our exports. Yeah, really. Anyway. For, forget it. I mean, just go back. The ghosts alone will beat you away unless you agree. <laughs> well, uh, back on Power Trip because you know, of course, we with all this, you got to bring up Space Lord. When I listen to that now, I think with everything going on, that's an is that an acoustic guitar at the beginning of it, or just an electric to sound like an acoustic? Oh, that's acoustic, yeah. So that was really, I mean, uh, okay, so Alice in Chains were doing a little bit of that, and even another Louisville export, Days of the New, had a little bit. But that's still really against the grain of people's expectations of your band and what we're going to expect from a big rock song at the time on the radio. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I wasn't thinking about it that way. I was just thinking of like, what's a way to to get the listener in rather than rather than beat them beat them right from the get go? Because I I definitely noticed that um, a lot of times our songs were so loud that it would tend to be uh, they tend to drone when they were placed next to each other. You know, you have one loud song, another loud song, another loud song. It's great live, but uh, if you put on a record, sometimes you tend to zone out, and it's almost like you flatline in your head. I was like, what way to, you know, what's a way to follow a loud song with another loud song without that droning thing? And uh, started off really, really low. You know? and I think it was kind of popular at the time. I think other bands might be doing it, maybe not with acoustic, but the the quiet to loud thing. Sure. Anyway, it was kind of a bluesy riff, so it fit in perfect. And I've I've read. I wanted to make sure it's true. First video ever on TRL? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, that's what I think. That's what I heard. That's an interesting place <laughs> in pop culture history right there. <laughs> yeah, and again, with the whole cynical thing, I was like, you know, uh, we're going to do this video. You know, They're like, oh, you know, what would you like to do for the video? The record company was cool. They didn't tell me what to do, but they would express their fears. And they'd always come and go like, well, what kind of video would you like to do? And me being... Uh, you know, on this cynical bent on this thing was like, no, it's really easy. You can have an artistic one, which I've got in my head, which is totally cool and beautiful. Or you can have the one that will probably get picked up. Well, can we have the one that's picked up? And I was like, yeah, it's really easy. Just copy a rap video. Click. <laughs> that's what works. I did. I just then hung up, and then they went and hired. You know, I was like, could I have, like, the guy? who's the guy that makes the most popular rap video? Like, who, whoever it is. I don't even care who it is. Just make them do that. Just put, you know, put a bunch of uh, white trash New Jersey guys in rap suits, and it'll be that'll be huge. Because no one had done it then. Right. It was like before Kid Rock was doing his thing, and uh, I just thought it'd be really funny. And it, it again, it worked. It was amazing. I remember it so well. I remember like not just seeing it now. I remember those first few times seeing it, and you know, it's just instantly drawn in. The visuals were. Were bright and shiny, and 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 everything that yeah. was you know glowy about that era, and uh, and the song was catchy as hell. Yeah, at the um, it's amazing. I mean, how hip hop and those hip hop videos at that time really set the standard very very quickly for videos forever. You know, I mean, for a short time when the grunge thing came out, MTV and this is you know when MTV mattered and all this stuff and stuff doesn't matter anymore. But at the time, it was really important to catch people's eye. And uh, the, in hip-hop culture, especially the Hollywood, um, not the artists themselves, but uh, I really think it was, a, it was kind of like a cabal of directors, really, more than the artists, oh, designers, directors. They had just constantly refined as the big money came into hip-hop because hip-hop was making more money than anything else. So they had more money for, more money for videos. They had the freedom and the, and and 
to spend a lot of coin on refining this look, that kind of silvery, shiny, at that time considered like totally HD before HD, like super, super shiny, beautiful videos. And uh, that commercially, that just went right to everybody's head, you know, and kind of blew everything else out forever. Right. They're still making videos like that. I do want to cheat here and ask about something uh, out of these uh, anniversary times, only since we're sure. in the 90s, but uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, I mean, that had been a minor hit before Power Trip uh, yeah. and eventually became an X-Men character, right? Mm-hmm. How, what was that like for you? Totally cool, bizarre, <laughs> and uh, as usual with something in my life, it's like um, things come out like satellites that go around a planet that satellite went out like what twenty years ago and came in and hit me in the head twenty years later like <laughs> doing Negasonic Teenage Warhead yeah that happened because of a really really cool guy named Grant Morrison one of the most talented comic book writers in the world twenty or so years ago happened to give us a shout out by naming a minor X Men character Negasonic Teenage Warhead it was a throwaway character and he just did it and back in those days you know he just did stuff like that. Um, there was no, you know, call for like permission or anything. He just went and did it, and it came out, and I was like, "Wow, that's really, really cool." And of course, the character went away. It was a minor character. Flash forward twenty years later, and Marvel's a big movie company, and, and I guess the director for for Deadpool is going through characters that he can use in his movie. You know, they can't share all the characters, so he's going to have to look through a list of minor characters so he can use it. You know, it's not appearing in the Avengers. I can use this character. And from what I hear, he just picked it on name alone. It's like, this is a goop. What's this goofy name, Negasonic Teenage Warhead? So they reinvented the character for that. And the next thing you know, you know, she's like kind of a breakout in the movie. Yeah. I mean, first off, it's a fantastic name, a great title for a song and really works well <laughs> for a superhero. Uh, did, I mean, did did. Does the attention come back to you for that? Did did people were they able to connect the dots? Do you do you actually see a return? Yeah, yeah, somewhat. I mean, not as much as I I would I would love to. Like you know, I called Marvel and stuff, but they just acted like I didn't exist. Uh, you know, I think that you know they get a little funky around co- about copyright. They probably thought I was coming to like sniff out some money. <laughs> Things get a little squirrely there when you know it's a title. It's a title that I created. Mm-hmm. It's a title that they had published without permission. And now it's in, you know, a, what, like 500? I think it's it's way above $500 million gross right. now. So I would imagine they wouldn't want to get into it. At so, least just a big old wave, you know, just some just some acknowledgments. That's all I wanted was a shout-out. <laughs> I swear, though, I was like, just please, like, you know, get one of your schmeedles in there to just go, hey, this is Marvel Comics. We love Monster Man, but nothing. License the song, you know, just that's it. Just license it. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm still waiting, and then I figure, like, rather than go on the internet and be a big crybaby, right, right. Um, I'll just, like, kind of let it pass and enjoy whatever I can enjoy from it. It's totally cool. It's a, it's a, another good moment pop culture for you. Kind of a running Hell theme. Hell yeah. Here. I mean, there's been a couple. I like it. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get into 2018 then, because Mindfucker gets released earlier this year. It's a relentless record. I mean, like I said, just keeps pounding away. You've talked about, you know, tackling shorter songs this time around, right? Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to do you know, this all came really from a desire to get some songs since live is so much more important now than it ever has been before for a uh, for the, the a life of a rock band. I mean, since, you know, meet the actual music it's not making bands a lot of money, you know, and that's a whole other story. But basically, you know, the worst musician's worst nightmare came true. Your music is almost worthless. You know, you know what I mean? It's right. Like, so 
that means that live is going to be everything. And so that means I play live more than I ever did, which is amazing because I always played a lot. And I just got to <clears throat> one point after doing a couple really long form psychedelic records going, I'm going to need more live songs for the set. I need to make a rock record. I got to shorten these songs up and be able to like switch them in and out. You know, I need to have something that's going to pound people uh, without redoing, you know, every hit every other time. You know, it's, it's got to be fresh. It's got to be new and it has to be new songs and they have to be able to work right from the get go in a live situation. And that's where the record came from. Yeah, I mean, out of the gates, you get Rocket Freak, and it's like it's sort of a Stooges kind of a sound to it, right? I mean, this is yeah, this there is all rock. Detroit. I love Detroit, that kind of stuff. Um, there's certain chords, man. You know, there's certain chords in rock that are so timeless to me, and uh, they just keep coming back to me. And they they work in any almost form. I mean, I could slow it down and make it all psych, and the chords would work, but tightened up and done at a fast tempo and with a little extra like uh, sing-songy on the top of it mm -hmm. you know kind of push like you say pop it's almost pop or it pop in a in a in a, in a way that could more describe an older pop basically memorable melodies on top of cool chords that's all it is you know that's really all it is but i, I needed lots of it you know i needed like a set so i wrote the record as much as i could as a set of live music now, you know, I sat down and wrote the songs almost in sequence. Wow. The first five songs were written as the first five songs of a set. So I sat down, okay, what would the first song be? It might be this. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, that sounds cool. You know, just by feel and uh, and tempo and stuff. And then I got to about song five, and I started to break down and started failing. But it worked. <laughs> the, but, the, but the theory worked pretty good because now I can put the record on and go, yeah, I could see that played live. And, and uh, sure enough, we do a lot of that. That's awesome. Come out and do like the first three songs at least, three or four songs in a row. Well, then thematically, uh, of course, um, it's an angry record for an unstable time. You talk about the information age. You talk about the information age in the 90s when no one was really putting the actual title to it. You were you yeah. were sort of doing the broad stroke of that, saying this is what's going on. This is the bigger picture. And now yeah. we're here. This feels like this album you know, in music feels like the result of that conversation. It, it is, it, you know, it definitely is. And it, it's also the result of somebody who can't keep his mind off, you know, uh, you know, I'm just like, it's a result of somebody who, which is me paying close attention, probably more attention than it's healthy for me to information and media and how it affects culture. It was always really important for me to understand why I like stuff and why I didn't like stuff, and why, when I was a child, beyond just being the, the love of things when you're a child, why I enjoyed music and rock culture so much. And that was because it was almost untouched and was left in a world of its own. The older people who signed this stuff, you know, in the 70s, they didn't understand it. They just, but they knew they could make money off. So they just under, they, they just couldn't understand it. So they just signed it. Rock culture kind of made up its own mythology. It made up its own thing. It operated politically when it wanted to. It operated apolitically when it wanted to. But it was its own thing. As as I got into the 90s, when I grew up, you know, it was in my in the 90s. I was in like you know late 20s, early 30s. I noticed that everything started the beast. You know, of commerciality and the beast of, of advertising had started to just drive almost everything artistically in the same direction. 
and it, the, the words to describe it were, you know, were, were still the same. People were still using the same jargon. Oh, this is cutting edge. This is wild. This is crazy. This is new. But I noticed this stuff. It wasn't new. You know what I mean? They're just using the same jargon. So things got more homogenized, homogenized, and here we are today in a, in a time where you would think that with internet democracy that there would be the most craziest, wildest, biggest experiment ever. No, you know, hey, that's not. It's probably like the worst time for music. There's way too many bands that sound the same, and we're just kind of floating on there. I think everyone's just stunned by information overload and almost like intimidated by the amount of information rather than uh, inspired by it. Was the information action ratio. I, I heard uh, uh, the fellow from the Arctic Monkeys talking about that the other day, but the information that you get in and how much it actually is important to you that you can use versus all the information. I mean, because, because everything, you don't know if what you're reading is true or not anymore. Right. You know, if you're not keen to look at exactly no. the actual address it came from, do the research on where the writer was getting its sources. I mean, anything is e so easily manipulated. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And you know something? It always was. We just There was just more time to figure it out if someone chose to. Mm -hmm. Now, because of the, the rapid fire, you know, this, you know, 25 hours a day broadband internet, it seems as if there's more information than ever. There's actually, it's the same amount of information. It was just never up there in the same spot before. And there's, it's, it seems like there's less time for us to figure it out. And it's just, it, it, it sets a pace that's impossible to keep up with. That's for sure. It's nuts. I mean, that's what Mindfucker, you know, that's where Mindfucker came from. And a lot of the stuff I sing about there is like, you know, this is just balls out crazy. And it's crazy for anyone to, to really try to think they can ride that horse. You know, I mean, obviously, when you have a situation like this where it's so unstable and so many people could be confused, who do you think's going to win? Right. The bad guys. Right. The bad guys are always great at that. We've seen those movies. We know that story. We've seen the movie. We've seen the movies. It's so crazy. But yet, here we got a nation of people, like on one side or the other, picking, picking heroes and villains. They only want heroes, villains, and victims. Mm -hmm. they, they completely forgot that people are human beings. All the shades of gray. There's not enough time for the shades of gray on the Internet. You're either a hero, a victim, or a villain. And that's just not true. It's never true. You know? It's almost like the country can't even, will never get a national consensus anymore. Because they're so busy fighting over their identity. They're finding it. They're like, this is my identity. And I was like, wait, you didn't even explain your identity. You just like something on the Internet. You just joined someone else's club. You know, it's just like, the, again, it's probably narcissism. How oh, this is me. I was like, look, if this is you, then what kind of person are you that would just spend all their time yelling at somebody else for any reason? You don't know what's going on. Crazy times. Yeah. Like, these are the times where... Um, uh, I'm a big history buff, you know, and these are the times where people get so bamboozled, they get so fed up that at one point there'll be a tipping point. Everyone will just give up, you know, yeah. and maybe, maybe things will maybe will settle down. I don't know. I center on in your song, I'm God. How does that fit into the conversation that we're having right here? What's going on in that? Because that's, that's a big song. Uh, I'm God was just, I mean, it's a pretty symbol. Uh, I wrote this thing. In the week of uh, of Trump's inauguration, and uh, um, I didn't want to. I just happened to schedule to write the lyrics to the songs in there. And I was like, "Oh, how am I gonna? I don't want to write about this." But I did because you know, as a writer, you have to write what's on your mind. So, um, God was just, "Hey, I wonder what you know. I wonder what God would think about this." He'd probably look down and go, "You know, 
I gave you guys like a million years. How many <laughs> years has culture been around? 3,000 years, 4,000 years? I mean, civilization. And you couldn't have better examples of, of, the which, of which way misinformed hatred, you know, in politics. Misinformed, lying hatred just balls out hatred and lies. They don't usually wind up too well. You know, if you look back in history, none of these people that have ever talked this way, no matter how idealistic as possible, I think if there's God, he'd probably fire you. <laughs> he would fire us. Uh-huh. Get out. Or I'm leaving. You know, I gave you guys enough chances. So I'm God. I'm riding a river of flame, and I'm thinking of saying goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> you had your chance. Yeah, the, uh... So that's what that song's about, just like, what would he do? I'd probably like treat us like kids and go, all right, you, you kids figure it out. I'm going to go to another dimension somewhere. The great failed experiment, humanity. You know, you're not the only planet I worked on. I've got <laughs> another planet on the other side that you guys don't know about. They're doing fine. <laughs> you idiots want to, like, roll back the clock by 50 or 60 years, even longer. So, like, we're behaving like we're in, like, the, the – we're, like, the – the 19th century. That's what I appreciate because you're you're sort of a sociologist. I mean, you are. You're a sociologist as a musician, and, and it always comes out in these lyrics. And I think that's what I've always latched on to when I'm listening to Monster Man. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. I can't help it. I mean, if that's I was raised, you know, myself being uh, a huge fan of writers as well as music, but as of writers, Hunter S. Thompson, Tom Wolfe, all those new journalists, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all that stuff. And older writers as well. Like, you know, I you know, I, I just love writing and I love the, the ideas of trying to capture whatever the spirit was of that time. And since I'm not a, a field sociologist, I just have to go by myself. You know, I have to go into myself and just write it. I try not to spend too much time in the actual writing of the words and just let it out. Well, I'm definitely a fan of it. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the conversation, Dave. Uh, I should also sure. mention before I get off of here, uh, Monster Magnet, you guys are going to be in town in Louisville for the Louder Than Life Festival, and you are playing on my birthday, September 30th. So it's going to be a fun God day. Damn. Yeah, look at that. I, just I haven't been Kentucky in years, man. Yeah, it'd be good to have you back. It really will. Uh, it'd be, hey, you know, like you say, Thompson and Ali. That's right. That's enough for me. Yeah. I mean, we will see you down here. And uh, and again, congrats on Mindfucker. And thanks, Dave, so much for this uh, conversation today. Thank you, Kyle. Take right, care, It's been man. a pleasure. Take care. Bye. Right on. Bye-bye. Big thanks to Dave Weindorf of Monster Magnet for giving me the call. The brand new record is called Mindfucker. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to Consequence of Sound's YouTube channel to keep up with your favorite artists and interviews. If you're listening to the podcast, iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you're getting it from, uh, go ahead and give it a rating, leave a review, and then head over to WFPK.org. That's where you hear me do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. You'll also find some bonus episodes of this series over there as well. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.